What's up, everybody? This is Nate with Rooted in Revelation podcast, where we seek to make God's revelation our foundation in all of life. And with me, I have a special guest, Conley Owens. How are you doing, Conley? I'm doing all right. How are you? Good, man. Well, thanks for coming on. This is a, a privilege uh, to be able to kind of host you and, and host one of your, your books that you just pu- uh, published. So thanks, man. Yeah, you're welcome. Absolutely. Yeah. So for my listeners, including myself, who don't know you from Adam, maybe you can uh, <laughs> share a little bit about who you are and, and what you're doing. Well, yeah, we have some mutual friends. Uh, so That's I think right. we do know each other closer than that. Yeah. From uh, choosing hats uh, right. or the old choosing hats days. Um, yeah. So my name's Conley Owens. I'm a pastor at Silicon Valley Reformed Baptist Church. I live with my wife and seven kids here in Sunnyvale, California. I'm a bivocational pastor. So I'm also a software engineer at uh, one of the larger software companies around here. I'll let you guess <laughs> which nice. one that is. Yeah, I actually don't know. So maybe I shouldn't ask. I don't know if it's like X Files <laughs> or uh, something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, I'm at Google. I'm at Google. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. So maybe you can tell us the inside scoop. Maybe Google knows. Yeah. A well, bit. Yeah. what I tell people is that all the Babylon B headlines are true. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's good to know. Maybe you could tell us more about this. Well, that I guess that's Facebook. I was thinking of Facebook and the metaverse coming out or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Looking forward to that. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, man, it's a privilege. But uh, so um, you said you have seven kids. Yes, uh, and an eighth wow. on the way. Congrats. That's 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 really good stuff. Um, I got one on the way as well. And um, my buddy, uh, the one that actually goes to log college, he's he's about he has currently four girls and they just found out they're having twin girls now so two more nice. to the next yeah so he's wow all, all, all <laughs> girls. yeah so lots of kids uh you know it's a good thing need more christians in this world so um it's like uh exciting thing uh stuff coming up so but yeah man so you came out with this book i'm not sure exactly when it it came out but it's called the dorian principle correct right yeah so you mentioned the law of college and seminary uh this was my mdiv thesis and i thought i was just gonna call some information and then publish it but i ended up rewriting tons of it and uh yeah so that's that's where this came out of great and uh so uh for someone that's wondering what, what the heck is the doreen sure. principle maybe you can help us understand what what that is or that concept yeah, well here's a here's a quick picture of the book so you know great. if anybody um uh looks for it on amazon or whatever you'll find it but uh yeah, so Dorian is the Greek word, the Greek adverb that means freely. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 8, freely you receive, freely give. And Paul uses the same word to talk about preaching freely, not charging for ministry. Now, right after that verse, Jesus says in Matthew 10, 9 through 10, uh, the worker is worthy of his food. And in Luke, it says the worker is worthy of his wages. So it's a book about how do you hold those two things together? How are we supposed to give without being paid for it? And also... Uh, to expect payment for this. Um, and a lot of people have had either poor resolutions or they've had good resolutions that they haven't uh, worked out all the implications of. So what I'm trying to do is offer one of those good resolutions and then work out all the implications of it. And so the what I believe the distinction is that Jesus is setting forward and that Paul is exemplifying in his own ministry and even other apostles are also alluding to um, uh, John and third John being one of them but is a distinction between co-labor and reciprocity. So when Jesus says, freely you've received, freely give, he's saying uh, there should be no reciprocity with the gospel. You should not be exchanging it, expecting anything in return from that person. However, there is supposed to be co-labor. Other fellow servants in the kingdom are supposed to be supporting you in this work. So yes, there is supposed to be a payment, but it's not coming from customers. It's coming from the true employer, who is God, because in that context, both in Luke and in Matthew, the Lord, he is uh, God. He is the Lord of the harvest who is sending out workers into the field. He is the employer. We should be expecting him to support his servants through the hands of other servants, not through customers, not through the mission field. So that is, that's in a nutshell. Yeah, that's really helpful. And when you say, uh, what's the word, repper, what was it? Reciprocity. Reciprocity. Yeah. So what's that mean? Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> I, can't even say I you know, I chose that word very carefully, but uh, most of the people when they first encounter it, they have a hard time saying it. So uh, yeah, I was trying to find a word that means exchange, hmm. right? Uh, remuneration doesn't really work because there is, you know, a remuneration, like God does pay his servants 
um, you know, they ought to be supported by fellow servants. Um, and there's uh, words that might suggest quid pro quo, which I'm not necessarily interested in something, uh, a word that uh, specifies a, a symmetry in exchange, because you could have an asymmetric exchange that violates this too. You know, if you offer someone the gospel for five cents, you still engaged in reciprocity, even if it's not been, uh, uh, you know, a very symmetric exchange, even though it's a very asymmetric one. So reciprocity just implies there's been some kind of exchange of the gospel for something else. And what is so offensive about that, and I guess there's a lot of things you could point to, but one of the ones that Paul brings up is when you're doing that, you are suggesting that you're a free agent you know, in First Corinthians 9, he talks about this, that you're a free agent, not a servant of another who is bound to do this thing. And Paul gives all kinds of analogies in First Corinthians 9, you know, with a, a soldier. Um, and a lot of people look at those analogies because Paul is talking about his right to be supported. And they read those as saying that Paul has a right to charge for his ministry, even though he's saying that he would never do such a thing, right? <laughs> but if you think about that, the soldier, um, if he were to take money directly from the people, uh, not as taxation to the king, but as directly for himself, he'd be guilty of extortion, mm. right? But if he takes if he takes from the people, has access to the king, and the king is supplying for the soldier, he's doing it correctly. First mm. uh, Corinthians nine also appeals to the Levites. How were the Levites supported? Yes, they were supported by the Israelites, but the obligation from the Israelites to the Levites was not a direct one; it was an indirect one. They were making their tithes and their sacrifices to the Lord. It would have been idolatry if they had been giving directly to the Levites or if the Levites had asked directly, you know, don't sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, let me just have this thing directly. And that's what happened with Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli. They asked for the sacrifice before it had been boiled, before it had been offered to God. Mm. So there is an obligation that people have to ministers, even the ones who are teaching them, but it's not a direct obligation, right? We are obligated to the Lord and out of our obligation for the Lord, we should be supporting. Uh, fellow ministers. So yeah, all this coming together to show that it's it's wrong for ministers to be asking for a direct exchange or expecting some kind of direct exchange or even accepting it, even, even if they weren't expecting it. But it is right uh, for them to co-labor and coordinate with other servants to make sure their gospel work is supported. Gotcha. Yeah, that's really helpful. So I guess what are some, uh, maybe you could share some examples of some of the models um, of different kind of ministry models for these very things, these very principles, you could say. Right. Yeah. Now this is where it gets controversial because <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna point out the the sacred cows that uh, very very typical ways that ministry is done today. And um, and I do I do mean today. I think this is a recent problem. A lot of people take me as saying that you know I've got this right and no one else has figured this out for two thousand years or whatever. Now, I think this is a very modern problem. Um, uh, things like books, right? Ministry that is conducted by books, typically, you know, you can't even access the, the contents of this religious instruction until you pay me, right? And then, and then I give it to you. Um, or conferences, you know, you want to come and hear the gospel. Uh, you know, I launched this book at G3 and one of the illustrations I would make for people, you know, if you wanted to watch this online right now, you would have to pay $14.99 to, to do so. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, seminaries, you know, a lot of seminaries, they, they charge tuition. Now, a lot of them are, are maybe 70% supported by co-labor where people are donating, but then that last 30%, they get directly out of an exchange from the student to, to learn, uh, you know, more about the gospel, to experience, you know, some kind of spiritual improvement. And yeah, that's, uh, that's exactly what Simon was going for. He thought it was right for the gospel to be um purchased by, uh, to exchange money for spiritual improvement. And uh, it, it's not appropriate. Now, just to, just to be clear, I'm saying that this is primarily a problem with the, with the ministries that are uh, acting in this way, not necessarily with the, the people who are, you know, don't have an option, but to pay. Mm. Yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah. I, yeah. It, it's a very interesting topic because it's not something that probably floats around people's minds. Um, you know, a whole lot. You just, it's just kind of one of them things you take for granted or you just assume and you go about your life. I mean, we all right. know about uh, TV evangelists. I mean, that's, that's probably like the worst case scenario. <laughs> um, right. So yeah, I, I don't know if yeah. you've read the short intro to the book or the, the what's on the back of the book, but basically it says, you know, everybody knows that what they're doing is wrong, but what distinguishes that from what legitimate ministries are doing where they're engaging in the commerce of, 
you know, exchanging religious instruction for money. Mm, yeah. Do you have any theories or any ideas of how this came to be this way mm. or why, why, or like maybe even just some of the history behind this, is this kind of like a modern problem versus it being not a modern problem or? Sure. Yeah, I do. I do think it is more of a modern problem. Um, and I would like to, I would like to study this more. You know, I do have some things about history in the book, but I think a, a neat follow-up project, if I get some time for it, would be to catalog a few things and then come up with some low-budget documentary about the commercialization <laughs> of Christianity. I think that'd be a lot of fun. But uh, just to recount the whole history, because I think I think it's valuable to go way back. Um, in the book, I document several sub-apostolic resources. Um, so like the Didache or the Shepherd of Hermas or... Um, uh, the writings of Apollonius, which are not extant, but uh, are recorded by Eusebius. And uh, these three all talk about how if someone comes to you asking for money, you know, you're to consider him a, a false prophet, right? He comes, if he comes to you office, offering teaching for money, you're to consider him a false teacher and to, to send him on his way is more or less how the Didache puts it. And the others say pretty much the same thing. So... <clears throat> In the beginning, I believe this was a uh, this was a practice that was well understood. You know, with with uh, more uh, doctrinal items, you might find that there's very little clarity, and then it grows over time. With more practical items, what you find is that because they are in practice, there's actually a lot of clarity, and then it corrupts over time, and then has to be restored later. So that's kind of what was going on with this. And then over time, that becomes corrupted until it gets really bad before the time of the Reformation, and the whole reformation was sparked around this issue, right? Around the sale of salvation, the sale of indulgences, <clears throat> exchanging spiritual improvement for money. Now, the problem was so bad that you don't really need like a careful and nuanced response to it, right? You just need to say this is wrong and, and Luther does and uh, not so many words and then, well, and, and lots of words, but not necessarily, uh, you know, finally picking apart everything that's right or wrong about it. And uh, so later on, um, uh, things are going along mostly fine. And what I'd say would trigger the new need for reformation was the advent of modern copyright law in 1710. In 1710, you have the statute of ban. Now, what that allowed is for authors to begin uh, profiting off of their books, to begin making royalties. Because the way it worked before was that an author just really wanted to get his work out there. So he'd give it to a publisher. And if the publisher thought he could make money out of it, he, as a distinct a secular entity would, you know, try making money off of it, but the author had had no interest in that. Or maybe if they did, they would just write a dedication at the beginning and then hope that whatever society or queen or king they dedicated it to would um, would support them in the work that they're doing. But with the advent of modern copyright law, you then have the beginning of royalties, and people start making businesses out of this. Now, I don't know uh, the speed or rapidity at which the church followed along the world's model in doing this, but you know, sure enough, you know, the church did follow along. And so you, in the past 300 years, you've had that. And then more recently, you've had the advent of digital media, where now, now you're not even selling, you know, primarily paper and ink. And then, you know, the, the teaching along with it, you're now primarily selling the content and the that paper and ink are secondary, right? Uh, and you know you can go online and purchase the ebook, and there you're just getting the content. You know you're not getting a, a physical good. So it's really clear that the teaching is being sold. And I think that you know now is the now is the time that um, as I look over history and different things where there's some kind of corruption and need for reformation, I think it really fits with with the pattern. I don't think that I'm saying uh, anything too wild to say that. Uh, or like, you know, like I think some people would characterize me as saying that, you know, oh, everybody's gotten this wrong for 2000 years and, you know, I'm getting it right now. I think we're just at a point in time where we need a little more clarity than what was previously retrieved. Great. Yeah. So maybe uh, probably one of your favorite, uh, favorite objections. I'm trying to think of one, a good one. Oh, well, so pastors and teachers can't make money, right? <laughs> right. No. Yeah. So I have this. uh yeah, there's this distinction between reciprocity and co-labor and co-labor 100%. Um, you know, I'm a reformed Baptist. So I believe the, the uh, second London Baptist confession. Um, if any of your audience is familiar with the Westminster confession and not the second London Baptist confession, they won't know this, but in the session on the church that the reformed Baptist confession adds, it mentions that 
ideally pastors ought to be supported so they can be full-time. Um, and I 100% believe that I, I happen to be bi bivocational. So a lot of people think that I think that that's the ideal. I don't, I really wish I were full-time. Mm -hmm. Um, and th that would be the ideal for pastors to be supported well, so that they're able to, uh, fully devote themselves to prayer and ministry of the word and to be able to be hospitable to others. Gotcha. So as, as far as for, you know, this idea that you brought up with, with, uh, for example, say, say Tim Keller writes a new book, right. And he sells it or whatever, and, and makes money or makes some kind of profit from that. Are you saying that's the target of being like, yeah, that we shouldn't do that because it has to do with ministry or the gospel, so would that be an example primarily yeah, or something like that? I think that's a, I think that is a good example. Now use the word profit, which I've, uh, I've avoided using because my concern is not about whether or not they make more money than they put in. It's whether there's been any reciprocity at all, right? Even if it's a penny, it's, it's too much and not because it's not worth it or not because he's not put that much effort into it. I think he should be supported well, just not by means of reciprocity. It should be by uh, fellow servants of the Lord laboring with him. And um, yeah, and a lot of people, the conclusion they come to seeing these same passages as I do, but not necessarily spending a whole lot of time trying to, you know, uh, make sure they've got them all consistently, is they'll come to that conclusion that, oh, well, as long as you're not profiting, as long as you're just making, you know, not asking for more than you put into it, or you had to pay for to do whatever. Um, it's okay. I, I don't believe that's the case. The Bible doesn't say that it's okay to peddle the gospel as long as, you know, you're, you're not making more than what you <laughs> got out of it. You're not allowed to peddle the gospel at all. Second Corinthians 2 17. Um, and uh, just one more uh, bonus there. Uh, Tim Keller, you mentioned him. He's one of the examples I point out in the book because uh, he's one of the few people who still sells his sermons. Um, that, that grew out of uh, practice quite a while ago. Um, but he still does. And if you want to download all his, his whole collection and not just individually, they will send you a flash drive if you pay them uh, $1,600. And that's down from the list price of uh, $3,300. So this kind of stuff still happens. And that's, I think that's a, that's a shame. You know, the gospel is to be offered without money and without prices. Isaiah 55 says, and then revelation picks up on the same thing. Um, yeah. That's the gospel. It should be offered freely. Right. And it does make uh, the one verse that comes to mind is when Paul, I believe, um, he talks about some people uh, preaching the gospel for selfish ambition and for or for gain. And he says uh, something along the lines of, you know, being against that, but in a sense, he's grateful that God's word still being proclaimed, nevertheless. Right. Right. Yes. Yes. I do mention that in the book, uh, specifically when considering, well, what should we do? Should we, you know, ban these ministries or, or boycott them or. And I say, no, you know, we should be, um, we should be glad when the gospel is going forward, even with, uh, even not with the sincerity that it ought to be. And that is, uh, and I say sincerity, you might think, well, are you saying these people aren't sincere? That is kind of the, the thesis of this book is that to have this ulterior motive is to undermine your sincerity, whether it's in great measure or in little measure, you are undermining the sincerity of ministry by having this ulterior motive of, of money and exchanging the gospel for money. Hmm. Yeah, it kind of makes me think of some, I'm aware of some authors that I don't know all the ins and outs of how they, they go about that. But uh, specifically, I think a frame and Poitras, I know they uh, are two authors that put a lot of their stuff out there for free. You know, you want the free PDF, right. all their books or whatever, maybe not all of them. It might depend on who's, who's the uh, publishers Publisher, and stuff like yeah. that. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know too much about uh, what frames practices have been, but I know Poitras has thought through this a good bit. And I feel like they're, uh, they're, as I've read their writings, their reasonings about this are a little different. And I, I sympathize more with the, with what I see from Poitras. But um, yeah, he, he actually came to his conclusions on a similar journey that I did, uh, because we both were fairly involved in open source software. It if you don't know what that is, basically, it's um, software that takes a more innovative view of copyright so that people are free to modify the software and the software is given away for free and you find other ways of, of making money off of what you're providing. So anyway, Poitras was also involved in, um, in the free software movement. And, uh, and so, you know, that led him to rethink the way the church copyright. And I, I went about this the same way. I kind of had the same path as him. So he, 
he uh, offers his writings under the GNU free documentation license, which I think is uh, so cool because that's like just a really old school license for, <laughs> for you know, software documentation. Um, what I argue in the book is that uh, ideally we should be doing uh, public domain declarations where uh, we don't require um, any kind of license compliance, any kind of uh, obligation placed on the one who's receiving the ministry, I think is, is going too far. Hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, man, yeah, there's all kinds of things bounce around in my head now, but, um, you know, I, I guess maybe if you want to talk a little bit about how, how seminary or, you know, tuition, I know you, you kind of talk about the, the things involved there. Like, for example, I, I think of, you know, Poitras, he's, he is a seminary professor at Westminster, Philadelphia. Right. Um, so would, would now, would that, what he's doing there be considered, uh, separated from, um, what's the word, um, co-laboring or, 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 uh, I guess I'm, I'm trying to find the right words, but maybe you know what I'm getting at. Um, sure. Yeah. Is that co-labor reciprocity? Well, yeah, you know, yeah. if he's receiving it from the seminary, it's kind of hard, like what to pin on him and what to pin on the seminary, because he's not charging the students, it's the seminary that's charging the students. And like, at what level of indirection does it become okay? And I, I don't have answers to all these questions, but yeah, I do think that the, the seminary should not be charging the students. And you have a, some seminaries are in a little bit of a harder spot where they're, they wouldn't necessarily know what to do, but for these seminaries that come out of a particular denomination, there's a real fast track to, you know, just making these things supported by the denomination. And uh, ideally that's how, that's how it would go. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's helpful to think of it in them ter those terms for sure. Because I know, because yeah. a lot of these churches, yeah, a lot of these churches are paying for it anyway. Just you know, at the time that they're sending the student, you know, why not just go ahead and do that beforehand as as co labor? And there's just a lot, you know, you might hear that and think, well, that's just a, um, it's all semantics at that point. You know, what was it? Why does it matter? It really does matter because the way you think about it when you're giving to this as a ministry it is very different. You know, when I purchase a book, I never have a second thought about maybe I should be praying for this guy, or maybe I should be holding him accountable to the things that he does elsewhere. But when you, when you give to a ministry, you actually, you want to hold them accountable. You want to make a good investment. You want to be praying for them. And uh, you want to have, um, you know, excitement and joy about this investment you're making. None of that happens when you're engaged in a commercial model uh, of reciprocity. Yeah. 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 I've never even thought to consider, you know, you're, you're putting money into a specific commercialized idea or seminary or some kind of something advertisement. And you never think to really think through it like that, you know? So that's really helpful and interesting. So um, in regards to um, what was I going to, I had something I wanted to say. Um, oh, okay. So like, for example, have you thought about how that how we should as buyers of these um of the, is my internet okay uh i lost you for a second but keep going okay is it okay um sorry i just said it was unstable but i was going to ask you um in regards to us that maybe purchase these books mm -hmm. or purchase the stuff what, what have you thought through that at all and um maybe you could share a little a little bit of your thoughts regarding that Right. Yeah. So I like, like I said, I, books, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So like I said, I don't think we should uh, boycott these ministries. Um, uh, it would be, you know, even personally harmful to, to not avail yourself of all those resources if you have the funds for it. However, at the same time, I do think it should uh, shape some of your decision making. You know, maybe you're used to uh, going to one resource when another resource is, is uh, just as good. Uh, and you want to go, maybe you would want to um, patronize for lack of a better word, the one that is more faithful in terms of this policy. You know, for myself, I've decided not to uh, invest in things like Lagos because, you know, I just feel like that's a little too much of a racket. I'd rather just use uh, the other kind of software packages that are available that are freely available. Um, so yeah, it might, it might shape some of your decision-making, uh, and it should, it should shape the way, for example, that you think about your giving at church. Maybe a lot of people are inclined to think, oh, well, you know, I come here, um, you know, I've got this real uh, consumer mindset where I come here, I pay the pastor because he does this thing for me. But really what's going on in that context, uh, your pastor is one of the members of the church who is giving his life over to, you know, dedicate himself to the ministry of the word and prayer. 
you are foregoing some of the fruit of your labor so that, you know, he can do this and you're all working together, you know, suffering for the sake of the gospel. Um, something that I, I found very enlightening as I saw someone point this out is that Paul in the three times he lists uh, all his persecutions, you know, that he's shipwrecked, that he's beaten, etc. He always lists that he worked with his hands, which, you know, is a little hilarious that like that, that ends up right there next to being shipwrecked. But uh, what he's saying is, you know, I had to, I had to forego some of the fruit of my labors, you know, I had to be a tent maker, et cetera, and do these things in order to be able to fund this gospel ministry. So when we do that kind of thing and forego the fruit of our labors so that Paul or whoever, you know, can, can do the ministry, we are co-laboring side by side. And uh, just uh, one more example of that in second John, you have uh, John say that if you greet a false teacher, you're participating in his wicked works. But then in third John, he says, uh, uh, for they have gone out, speaking of missionaries, he says, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, not accepting anything from the Gentiles, you know, no reciprocity. Therefore, we ought to be supporters of people such as these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So we ought to co-labor with them. Um, there, is a, there is a great partnership that happens uh, when you are giving to your church. So, so hopefully it can shape some of your thoughts and give you joy as you give as well. Yeah, that actually is like pretty exciting to think that we're all part of the body, all giving into the ministry. So it is uh, not of charge to those that it reaches, right? I mean, you're right. I mean, I think of all just all throughout the book of Acts and this Paul's own writing, he's constantly like, hey, we didn't like, you know, we didn't come here like trying to make you guys give us stuff or do this. Like we even helped you. We right. even helped set things up. We, you know, we're not a burden to any of you. Um and all that kind of language. So it's, it's kind of exactly. uh, really exciting thinking through this. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean that, yeah. So that principle, I definitely see it in the text and I appreciate you pointing that out. I think that's really great uh, for me personally and, and the listeners uh, that will be listening, you know? So, um, so I guess um, how, how that, uh, you know, maybe what are some more encouraging things that we could, you know, maybe help me and my listeners understand about um maybe some real life. I know, I know you're talking about earlier, we're talking about the academic kind of, but then you get into practical stuff and it gets a little more um, maybe confusing or strange, sure. but, but have, have you encountered any of um, any blessing or any kind of practical experience of this, this principle um, in your local church or? Yeah, sure. Well, um, you know, with this book, uh, my church helped pay for the printing of this book. The, uh, the publisher is, they've been doing this kind of ministry since 2006, uh, not just books, but other things, but with books, they've been uh, printing the books freely, uh, shipping them freely. And so they're covering the shipping for this book. If you go to the website, uh, the dorianprincipal.org, Dorian is spelled D-O-R-E-A-N, and you order the book, it is, uh, the book is free and the, the shipping is even free. So that's a, that's a great example. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm excited to be able to do this with there being zero inhibitions to people, you know, getting access to this. Yeah, that's really, that's really great. And then uh, have you thought through at all, like possible, uh, abuses of, of, um, this, this principle, like, is there any, what I mean, I guess is, for uh i'm trying to think of like people that could abuse such a thing as this like you know you are giving away these free books and your church and your people are providing the means so these books can be free right, right? what if someone's like oh give me you know 300 copies for free <laughs> so i can you know what i mean like yeah yeah you, you know. need to you might need to figure out ways to mitigate some of these things um you know maybe not the way the publisher handles it right now is they don't fulfill um orders that are greater than one, unless they, you know, do some kind of verification that this is a church that really needs it, that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> there's lots of things like that. However, I also feel like some of these problems just exist because we haven't done a lot of this yet, you know, and aren't yeah. good at it. Uh, one of those things that I think about is why do we care so much about physical books? I, I know that if you talk to a lot of book nerds, they, they say, oh no, I just love paper better. I feel like a lot of that is just because digital books are so bad. Like, you know, if, if uh, we had all the books freely and you were able to search them all easily and, you know, control F over all of them and, you know, people would want that more than their, their physical books. If you could really, if you could really do it well, but it's hard to do well when, uh, for example, you know, someone who is uh, developing an application or something, 
uh, just doesn't have access to all the books, right? They have to get the book in whatever format it comes in or whatever. And no one's, uh, no one even has the rights to, you know, put this into some mega database with all the, with everything standardized the way it ought to be so that you can make a, a wonderful app that worked on, you know, whatever uh, e-paper device you wanted or something like that. So I feel like part of this is just a problem because we haven't been doing this for, uh, for long. Mm. Yeah, and it makes me think too of like monergism. Um, like they have tons of free ebooks, like the Puritans, right, and and all kinds of stuff like that. Is that because they're aware of this principle, <laughs> or <laughs> uh, is there just something to do with copyright with older books that you're able to kind of make them available sure. in the public domain? Yeah, well, it's definitely the case that older books are are um, are in the public domain. Uh, you know, supposing there's not had to been a recent translation or something like that, or sometimes they'll be updated into a modernized language. And then you, and then the modern English one isn't, uh, isn't public domain, but the older ones are. So that's part of it. But certainly I have found that people who run these websites tend to have a similar mindset to me. Uh, they haven't necessarily, um, you know, put it all together with, uh, you know, terms and, and categories, but, um, I've found, I've been surprised how many people have had similar thoughts. I really, I really anticipated this being uh, much more controversial than it's been. There'd be much more pushback than there's been. But as I've talked to people, you know, a lot of people have sensed that there's something off about this and been very happy to have categories to think about it in. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the top objections that you've ran into, or maybe a bunch of your footnote answers to people's concerns kind of a thing, you know? Sure. Sure. Well, the vast majority of objections are just misunderstandings, right? They're, yeah. they're misunderstanding them saying you got to, uh, you know, that you shouldn't be paying your pastor or they're um, a couple I ran into today, which I think were new ones, but uh, <laughs> one pointed out that, you know, the, uh, the money changers in the, um, in the temple were thieves, you know, because Jesus calls it a den of thieves that they were stealing from people. There wasn't actually anything wrong with selling in the temple, which I don't, I don't, think that's the case. I don't think Jesus was accusing them of, of literal theft in that sense. I'd have to think about it more, but, but I've never appealed to that passage to, to, <laughs> to uh, support my principle. I've only appealed to that passage to, to point out Jesus's zeal for this particular topic of right handling of money in ministry. Um, so, you know, people will assume that I'm making an argument. I'm not. Um, another one, uh, this particular individual said was that, uh, oh, well, uh, now I'm forgetting, but there's just a lot of uh, missing. Oh yeah. He said, he mentioned profit, right? A lot of people think I'm saying that you can't profit. It has nothing to do with profit. If you make more money than you put in, that's wonderful. I think you, I think every minister should. Um, but once again, it should come from co-labor, not reciprocity. So the uh, other more substantive uh, objections, one of them is that um, uh, one of them is that this ethic is too subjective. Like, cause it sounds like I'm saying that uh, a minister receiving or not receiving is based on the thoughts going on in someone else's head that you can't possibly know, right? How do I know whether he's giving out of a sense of reciprocity or of co-labor? Mm. Um, I, well, I, first of all, I'd point to, you know, Paul in first Corinthians and second Corinthians, and he doesn't just say, oh, well, let me clarify, you know, how you should be giving. And then I'll, you know, and then I'll accept it. He just says, he just says no. And I, I think that the right way of thinking about this is I'm not claiming you need to know what's in someone else's head, but you need to do due diligence in the words and gestures of fundraising so that no one gets the wrong idea about the origin of the gospel being from God, not being from me personally, so that you shouldn't be directly obligated to me. Uh, one other objection is that uh, the practice of this is very difficult because um, some of these, uh, some of these, categories are difficult. Like at what point does something become reciprocity or at what point does it become co-labor or at what point does something become uh, ministry versus not ministry? And I think that's the harder one. Like, let's say, you know, I give you a Bible, right? Uh, like a Gideon's Bible or something. Um, you know, you shouldn't charge for that. Now let's say like I upgrade it to being leather, you know, and you know, it's this, it's this really nice, you know, $250 thing. Like, should I have to give that away for free? Is, should there be a room for a market for, uh, you know, luxury Bibles? Well, I think there should. And at some point, the essence of what you're selling is not the gospel. It's the, it's, you know, this, this luxury product. Um, and I don't know at what point that line should be drawn and I'm not going to be able to give you these answers. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's like, it's like the regulative principle of worship. If your audience is familiar with that, the, 
the regulative principle of worship distinguishes between the elements of worship and the forms of worship. And it says that uh, you can't change the elements, you know, reading, praying, singing, can't change those. Now the forms, whether you sit or you stand, whether, uh, you know, how many songs you sing, that, that can change. But uh, people differ on what the forms and the elements are. You know, some people say, oh, well, musical instruments, that's an element. You can't add that. That's not just a form. Um, you know, they have all kinds of things they, they would consider. So the fact that people are going to differ about like where you draw the lines on these things, I don't think undermines the the principle itself. Yes, it would be nice if I could work all these things out, but I, I also kind of avoided it in my application chapters because I don't want people to disagree with where I've drawn the lines and then therefore reject the principle. <laughs> I really want people to just agree with the principle and then let's like argue about the, where the lines are drawn later. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because yeah, like any biblical principle, right. You're going to have to find ways of wisely putting those things kind of into practice. Right. Right. And that goes yeah. for all kinds of different doctrines or all kinds of different things in general. Right. Yeah. Just to give a, another example of, you know, where's the line between ministry and non-ministry? Well, you uh, in and out, you know, puts a Bible verse on the bottom of their cups. Now do you have, now do they have to give, uh, you know, burgers and drinks for free? <laughs> yeah. You know, what, uh, no, I don't think, uh, I think it's okay to frame things in, in biblical thought. And, you know, you could even provide Christian education, uh, you know, uh, without uh, in charge for it. If the essence of what you're offering is not the gospel, you know, if it's, if it's just this, um, education that's, that is, uh, uh, framed in a biblical worldview, I think that kind of thing could be totally fine. Right. Yeah. Because it's not like it's, uh, the essence of it or something isn't primarily right. like the gospel, but it's, it's right. Maybe training for it, or maybe it's some kind of additional resources or some kind of additional, uh, I don't know, tools or something of that nature. Right. Right. Like, uh, uh, you know, class on learning or, uh, original languages or something. Maybe you have to purchase sure. some yeah. some little book for that or whatever the case, right? Because it's not right. primarily tied to access of the gospel, but it does have right. some kind of uh, connection to it, but not in the fuller sense, right? So, and and I think one thing that's important here too is that, uh, and you know, hopefully a reformed audience is going to understand this well. Is that when I'm when I'm saying the gospel, I'm saying more than just uh, the good news explicitly. I'm saying, uh, you know, like Jesus said in Luke 24, that the whole Bible points to him. So really any kind of biblical instruction really falls into this category. Um, if that's the essence of what you're providing is biblical instruction, um, you know, biblical instruction is free to decorate things that you're, that you're selling, but if it is the essence of what you're offering, it ought to be offered freely. So I'm, I'm not just saying, you know, well, once you've given them good news and you can sell whatever other kind of biblical instruction you want. Um, <laughs> no, like all of that really counts as it, it, if it's not being linked to Jesus, it ought to be like, you ought to be linking it to the gospel. You, you don't understand your Bible if you haven't been able to do that. Yeah, no, that's actually super helpful. Thanks for, uh, uh, bringing that out more because that was my original thought. I was like, "Oh, is it just mean like primarily like the gospel of salvation, you know, repentance unto life, that kind of a thing, or a more full orbed biblical worldview, some kind of biblical framework in general?" So that's really helpful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so have you had any praise from the book? Has anybody been up in you or up in this this principle helping you out? <laughs> sure. So, uh, yeah, there's been. Um... Well, the, the book itself has some uh, good endorsements. Uh, the one I was the happiest with, but I, I'm disappointed at how few people recognize him, <laughs> is uh, David Garland, who wrote what I consider to be the best two com or the best commentaries on First and Second Corinthians, um, and that that's just huge for me because uh, most of the book is about First and Second Corinthians. So right. uh, there's a lot of others too, but um, yeah, you can check the endorsements. And then uh, yeah, Ad Robles has me had me on his podcast a couple of times, and that's been really helpful in trying to get the word out. That's good. Yeah. I do know who David Garland is actually. So awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty cool, I guess. Right. He's a commentating, uh, he writes commentaries and more academic work. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's a I professor. Think, yeah. Yeah. His, uh, yeah. His commentary in first Corinthians is just so excellent. It's one of the best commentaries I've read. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, that's, that's exciting stuff. So, um, so how long has the book been, um, out currently now? Is it, uh, the very end of September is when we launched it. Okay, so just this uh, the end of last year, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's great. Yeah. So, is there anything else that you would you would love to share? Um, maybe 
maybe um, anything else that you could think of that might be just floating thoughts that people have you've experienced having regarding your book that might be helpful to fuller uh, fully, you know, maybe answer some of those possible objections or. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's just, there's just no end to objections when people, um, you know, when they feel like this is, this is challenging the way things are, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm hoping that people who have less of a dog in the fight will be, you know, more interested and in, in open to this. Uh, just one, um, one consideration uh, just thinking through some of the verses that are helpful. Cause I haven't, I haven't quoted that many verses on this show yet. Um, well, I'll just go ahead and quote some second Corinthians two seventeen says, uh, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So yeah, uh, this is about sincerity. You know, someone who is exchanging the gospel for money is undermining the sincerity of ministry. Uh, Micah three eleven says uh its heads give judgment for a bribe its priests teach for a price for price its prophets practice divination for money yet they lean on the lord and say is not the lord in the midst of us no disaster shall come upon us so here you have the the crooked people in israel um prophets priests and judges you know a judge being a mini king uh these are the same offices of christ prophet priest and king and as we are a royal priesthood you know and we are to be essentially prophets, not, not in the sense of giving, you know, inspired words, but in repeating God's inspired words, uh, we ought to be doing these things as God would have us to do. And you see a bad example in the old Testament where their prophets, priests, and judges were doing so for money. We ought to be a people who are, who are not doing so in exchange for money. Uh, one other, one other thing that comes to mind that a lot of people have found helpful, uh, which, you know, honestly, I only throw it in the book is kind of like a, a side thought but um, is just how important this should be for discernment. So I've got this, uh, try to hold it up to the camera. I've got this uh, uh, Venn diagram where basically, you know, a lot of people think of uh, greedy teachers and false teachers as, as uh, being this uh, overlapping Venn diagram where some greedy teachers are false and some false teachers are greedy. But biblically, because the Bible really pierces to the heart and isn't as concerned with just how things look on the surface, um, it points out that someone who is a false teacher, you can either serve God or money. So they are necessarily doing it for the sake of gain. So the primary way you are supposed to be able to discern a false teacher is by their handling of money, is by their, their fidelity to this principle. So Right now, that's kind of up in the air because so many of the true teachers are engaged in reciprocity. But if we could recapture this, this could once again be like the the primary tool that you use, just like the Didache advocates for, of discerning whether or not a teacher is a true teacher or a false teacher. That's another really important thing that uh, that should be um, that would be gained if we could recapture this principle. Yeah, that's really helpful to think of it in terms of like even like elders and deacons, right? Um, and thinking how that relates to the, uh, that office and those qualifications, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. If they, um, yeah, they're not supposed to be lovers of money, et cetera. You know, and Paul, in one of those lovers of money passage, Paul says, if anyone comes to you with a different doctrine, he is, and then lists all these things and then says a lover of money. Mm. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't like thinking that, well, because you have all kinds of people who have, well, aren't there people who have a different doctrine, but you know, they're ascetics who don't have much money they've always got some kind of personal interest, right? And usually that is most often expressed as, as a desire for money. And the same thing at the other way around. Well, don't you have two true teachers who are violating this? Uh, yes, but that's not how it's supposed to be. Um, you know, out of the heart, the mouth speaks, but uh, you know, we're all sinners and we, we err in these things. So, you know, if we can recapture this, then maybe we can more directly see the heart from the fruit. Right. And what are some of the things that you could point me and my listeners to like practically like how do you how do you start engaging um and maybe sharing this like with our pastors um our elders sure you know things of that nature well yeah because the book is uh free of charge and the shipping is free of charge it costs you nothing just just to get an extra copy um you know uh like i said the publisher won't won't uh, necessarily fulfill it if you ordered for two, but if you order another one a month later, <laughs> they will. So uh, yeah, just get one and hand it to your pastor, ask him what he thinks about it. Uh, uh, that's that's uh, one way, you know, link him to this video maybe. <clears throat> um, yeah, there's all kinds of uh, things you could do. The uh, If you're on Facebook, 
there's a group I'm running that I'm hoping to form a community talking about this uh, called Money and Ministry Dorian Discussions. So if you search Money and Ministry, you should be able to find that. Uh, that's a that's a good place to head to if you want to try to organize around this. Great. And you said that's Facebook? Yes, that's on okay. Facebook. Gotcha. So not not on the metaverse yet. That might come <laughs> later. <right>? No. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's really encouraging. And then um, and then I'm trying to think too, like, um, what are I guess have you thought through it all? Like, what possible authors and publishers can start maybe starting to think through about how they go about the if they publish books and whatnot, like. Yeah, well, I mean, all kinds of people can think about this. Unfortunately, a lot of the publishers are built around this. They don't necessarily have church ties where they could just easily transition to, um, uh, you know, being funded. But, you know, for authors, if your heart is pricked by this, you know, and you hear this call to reformation, yeah, there are publishers who would be willing to work with you. Um, you know, my own publisher, uh, First Love Ministries, like I said, they've been doing this since uh, 2006. So uh, that's a... Um, there are people willing to work with you. And yeah, it's not just for publishers. It's really for, uh, or, or authors. It's for all kinds of things. Um, I think worship music too. You know, so many people uh, publish their worship music for money. Um, you know, the CCLI is essentially this worship tax that a church has to pay before they get to, <laughs> to worship freely. So there's just all kinds of uh, little things that we can push back on to um, hopefully uh, remediate the problem step-by-step. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's definitely one of those things is probably such a, a comfortable free flowing running thing that it, a lot of people are probably will avoid it just because of um, how radical maybe the shift would be for a lot of people. You right. know? So yes. that's definitely a hindrance for sure. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be that radical. Like, hey. <laughs> you know, if you can just, if you can just find willing donors and there are all kinds of tools these days, you know, there's like Patreon and Kickstarter and whatever, if you don't already have a church network that would, you know, that, that has the the mechanisms that you would typically use to, to fund these sorts of things. But um, yeah, there's just a lot of options these days. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. Well, yeah, I don't know if you, if you wanted to give a plug for Log College as well, um, yeah, because they're another great ministry that uh, I, I really appreciate how Log goes about um, how they, you know, what how they do things, <laughs> like you know, right. raising yeah, up uh... leaders in the the local church, uh, having mentors, having you know, this I forget the mo- what's the model called again? Um, I think it's just called I don't know biblical <laughs> i forget no yeah. see I, I went through it while it was still the north american reform seminary so i don't know okay. if they've changed some of these things but yeah uh john mcdonald who's been on this show before uh he is one of the endorsers of the book too uh so yes it's a <laughs> it's a good school i've been through it and um yeah they're they're uh free of charge and there are other schools like that too um they're not the only ones so yeah this is this is something that's very doable these days um, and it was doable before too, but there's less of an excuse uh, with the more tools that are available. Right. Yeah. And it's, and it's super encouraging for uh, anyone listening that is not aware of John McDonald or the log college and seminary. Uh, definitely check that out on Google. It's a, a great opportunity for those that uh, would like to grow um, and possibly grow to be an elder or something of that nature to be involved in ministry um, or just to be trained. Right. Um, it's a really great opportunity for you to get connected, not just with uh, seminary kind of level courses, but also just involved in possibly being mentored by a pastor or an elder in your local church. So it's a really great opportunity. Yeah. yeah so, um, Kylie, do you, did you have any, um, anything else you'd like to talk about or say? Yeah. So one more, one uh, kind of hopeful note I've been uh, contemplating lately is, you know, uh, you and I, just before the show, we're talking about, um, the uh, or no, maybe it was actually during the show. <laughs> we were talking about the uh, the uh, uh, the money changers at the temple, um, and I forget if it was during before, but uh, anyway, while I've never appealed to that to support this particular uh principle, it, it does show Jesus's zeal for the ministry. And something I've been considering lately is the, the relationship of Jesus's cursing of the fig tree to that. Um, different gospels record it slightly differently, but Mark, Jesus curses the fig tree. He goes and he cleanses the temple and then he comes back out and he explains the fig tree. And 
I'm, I'm just going to assume that your, your audience is somewhat familiar with all this, but mm-hmm. when he explains the fig tree, he says, uh, um, uh, let's see, uh, truly I say to you, whoever says this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea, it does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass. It will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. You know, as Jesus is uh, dealing with the, the corruption of money in the temple. Um, and when I've, talked to, when I've talked to other people about this particular issue, a lot of people seem feel like this is kind of hopeless. This is a David and Goliath situation. But you look at this and Jesus surrounding that interaction in the temple talks about the power of prayer to correct such things, specifically this, this issue of corruption of money and religion. Um, you know, I think if we, as a church, you know, just really uh, unite in prayer around this issue, the mountain will be cast into the sea and uh, we can have a serious reformation that will be for the good of God's people. Yeah, that's super encouraging. And thanks for that, Conley. Um, it's been a privilege to have you come on and, and discuss these things. I hope it's um, inspiring enough to get people to not go purchase a book, but actually go receive a free copy <laughs> of a book because that's, uh, you know, it starts, uh, starts closer to home and works its way out. Right. And, uh, right. And we, we appreciate, uh, you too, Conley for publishing this book and then making it available for, uh, for people to be able to receive without charge to be able to read that. And, and thanks for putting in the, uh, the principle in the practice you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let me just add that if you go to that website, the Dorian principle.org, there's also, um, uh, there's also all kinds of digital formats, you know, it's on the website itself. Uh, there's PDF and EPUB, you can get it on Kindle and there's even an audiobook. If you feel like you don't have enough time to read, but you want to just search for it in your podcatcher, just search for it in your podcatcher. And, you know, in a few hours at whatever time speed, you know, you can, you can listen to this. It's not too long. Gotcha. And uh, I'll make sure that I definitely put some links in the description for you guys. So you'll have a, uh, a way to receive it, whether voice or paperback, Kindle, whatever the case seems like it's all available for you guys to select at your own choosing. So um, yeah, so this was great. Uh, Conley, thanks so much. Uh, did you have any concluding uh, any thoughts or anything like that? No, yeah, the, uh, the gospel is given to you freely. So you should be offering it freely. And um, you know, if it seems, if it seems too hard, you know, the Lord is faithful. He will take care of his servants. Amen. That's a good reminder, brother. All right, guys. Well, until next time, this was Rooted in Revelation podcast. We say make God's revelation our foundation in all of life and have a good one.